Appreciate it. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Uh, if you'll be turning there to 1 Timothy chapter number 6, and we're going to look there, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is it's just only on, on the other page, but uh, I have enjoyed my time here. It's hard to believe that it's already uh, Wednesday night, the last service, uh, but I trust that uh, it has been a help and a blessing uh, to you, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight. And uh, let me say uh, thank you for the invitation, uh, Brother Bloom, and your friendship. And I just enjoy being around my Uncle Andy. And uh, there's just something about Uncle Andy that I enjoy being around. Uh, now, you can't call him Uncle Andy. Only I can call him Uncle Andy. Uh, some of you will call him some other things. That's a whole other subject. But um, I appreciate the Blooms and, and their friendship and uh, what they're doing here at the church. I always feel welcome uh, when I'm here, and so uh, I look forward to what the Lord has for us this evening. Do pray for me uh, as I continue. I am working on a book for this. Many of you have asked, uh, are you thought about putting this in a book, or when will you have, have this book done? This is a big project, and I do believe this is spiritual warfare. And uh, so please, if you would, uh, uh, if, if you can't find anybody else to pray for, pray for me. I'll take your prayers, uh, but just continue to stay faithful. And thank you for all the accommodations, the, the meals and everything. And uh, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, I am going to read in just a few moments from uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Uh, and tonight I am going to teach on the corruption of vain words. Uh, beginning of the week, I kind of laid out what I had planned on teaching, and uh, if you were paying attention, you remember, I, if you may remember that I said tonight I was going to teach on New Testament church or emerging church and how to keep from departing from the faith, but uh, as the week progressed and I was spending some time praying this afternoon, thinking about what the Lord would have me to uh, teach tonight, He brought me to this uh, uh, section, this lecture, and uh, it will continue to it will continue to reveal to us the motive behind why this group of people, why this philosophy is what it is, and the motives that they have behind it. And uh, as always, we have to look through the lens of Scripture to discern uh, what it is, to first of all know what we believe, uh, but so that we can discern what is truth, what is error, uh, because the devil is not going to tell you what's, what's, what's behind it. Uh, he's got a hook and so many things, we've got to know the Word of God. I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but uh, one, one thing I want to mention to, to you, just as a side, because I don't have time uh, to give all of the different sections that I have. I taught this over the course of a year uh, in my church, and so uh, I tried every night this week to, to squeeze two into one. Um, so that leaves about 27 for me to get to tonight. And so uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, but Monday night, or Sunday night, I kind of laid the foundation. Uh, Monday night, we talked about the spirit of Christ or the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, these emerging churches, they have an atmosphere. They have a spirit. And they may say to you something like this, Oh, uh, the spirit really got on. Well, there is a spirit there, but it's a seducing spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God is not going to take you closer to the world. The Holy Spirit of God will take you further away from the world by taking you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There are seducing spirits. There is the spirit of Antichrist. Last night, I taught on uh, the attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, If you were able to be here, it's convert or Christ follower. We hear that terminology, well, I'm just a Christ follower. I'm just a Christ follower. Well, as I pointed out last night, uh, in that terminology, in, in that definition, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm a convert. I have been converted. I believe uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is a difference. And then I, I took some time to show you what they, in their own words, believe about our Savior. It's another Jesus. They've created another Jesus. In, in two other areas, uh, another area that we get uh, that is under attack by this emergent philosophy uh, is the uh, kind of church that we have, but what it centers around. The preaching of the Word of God. And I have a uh, lesson that I have entitled Emergent Ear Ticklers. And I take it from uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, uh, when Paul gives the admonition uh, in verse number 2 to preach the Word. And then he begins to tell Timothy uh, what preaching should be. It should be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Uh, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think we're there. Uh, but after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Remember, if you've been here every night, thank you for being here. But you think there's something uh, that if we're not careful, I think we miss on the surface of Scripture. Uh, every time we talk, deal with separation or the Spirit of God, seducing spirits, there's a point there that it's after carnality, their own lust. Uh, It's a seducing spirit tied to the error, and we see this once again. Uh, They they go after their own lust. But I I just want to mention these things about preaching because the kind of preaching that's done here is under attack by this emergent philosophy. And if and then I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to leapfrog from that into our lecture tonight, uh, the lesson tonight, uh, because I want to talk about the terms. Because if we're not careful, we'll let the terms uh, take us off course of where we're supposed to be. Uh, but let me just mention a few things about the emerging church and preaching. Uh, first of all, we know that God intended for preaching to be primary. Uh, preaching is intended to bring people to a decision. That's the point of teaching. It's not just an imparting of facts. That's why we go back to this idea that, uh, well, we want all the lost to feel uncomfortable. I mean, feel comfortable in our churches. I want the, the lost to feel welcomed by our friendliness, and, our, uh, and we're glad to have them there. But I hope the Holy Spirit of God is evident enough that if they're lost, for them to be very uncomfortable. And well, you just pushed me to a decision. That's the point of preaching. Uh, preaching is to bring us to a decision. The emerging church takes the emphasis off of preaching and places it on the worship experience. You will hear these terms, worship experience. Come for our worship experience. I I, want to come to church to hear the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, It's not the worship experience. Uh, the, the experience, the atmosphere, experience the, the, the concert, experience uh, the, the party-like atmosphere. That is what the emphasis is on. That's why music is important in the church, because it is to point everything to the preaching of the Word of God, to prepare the heart to hear the preaching of the Word of God. That's why music is important, because that preaching 
is what it centers around so that you and I make a decision based off of what the Word of God says. That's the way preaching is designed. But the emerging church wants to remove that and place it on the worship experience. Now, here's two statements I'll make, and we'll jump to what I really want to get to tonight. The spiritual man wants his soul fed. The carnal man wants his flesh pacified. Uh, Spiritual people like preaching. Uh, When your pastor gets up here and he ever preaches on something that we call it stepping on your toes, you you know which part of you that is that gets your toes stepped on? The carnal side. Uh, the side that needs their toes stepped on. But see, in this emerging church, it's not intended for the spiritual man to be fed. It's, they, they want, the carnal man wants his flesh pacified. Preaching is designed to only fulfill one of those tasks. Preaching is designed to feed the soul. It's not designed to appeal to the carnal man. That's why a carnal man comes to a church like the Central Baptist Church and says, I just, don't, I, I just don't fit in. Well, if you come long enough, like I taught the other night, and from the inside out, the Holy Spirit of God begins to change you, uh, it, the preaching's not designed to f- feed your carnality. But the worship experience is designed not to feed your soul, but to, to appeal to your flesh. The acceptance of a carnal, sensual lifestyle without Holy Spirit leadership It leads to a resistance and rejection of Bible preaching. That's why you will not find the authority of the Word of God. That's why you will not find the preaching of the Word of God. And that's why the emerging church will never be compatible with a Bible preaching church. Because it is designed for a worship experience to appeal to the carnality. Uh, we can say what we want to say, but those that would leave a Bible preaching church like this to go to an emerging church, they're doing it to appease their flesh. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to leave anybody away from a Bible preaching church to a church that just feeds the carnal man. This is just bonus. This is not what I want to get to tonight. But uh, keep that in mind when it comes to the preaching. You ought to be thankful you're a part of a preaching church. Uh, don't, don't, ever get, don't, don't ever get tired of hear, hearing the Word of God preach. Your pastor and I were talking today at lunch, and, and I know he has a love for studying the Word of God. I'm talking about how much I love studying the Word of God. and uh, it's, it's the spiritual man uh, that likes the Word of God preach. It's, it's a worship experience. So Sunday, you're not coming in here for a worship experience. You're coming to hear the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, so preaching is under attack, certainly. But what I want to get to tonight is in First Timothy chapter number six. And as I was studying, been studying this for many, many years now, going on ten years, uh, I've read many books by these emerging church leaders. I have dissected them, and feel like I have a pretty good grasp on uh, what they believe. Uh, but one thing that uh, sometimes we as Christians, sometimes we hear something, we're just, ah, that just doesn't sound right. And the terms are a little bit different. As I've explained this week, sometimes I'll use the same word we use, but they have a completely de- different definition to it. And that's why when we talk to them about salvation, or we talk to them about things of the Lord, they're saying the same words, but they have a different definition 
to the word that you and I have a Bible definition to. And as I was reading and studying, I love the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and the Lord just opened this up to me. And I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 20 and 21, the last two uh, verses of the book of 1 Timothy. And then we're going to jump into uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Uh, I'm going to speak tonight, and I've given you the title, The Corruption of Vain Words. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look into the Word of God. Uh, The longer I'm saved, the more I study this book, the more amazed I am at the the truths, at how uh, in this day we live in today, how relevant this book is and how this book just sheds light on what seems new to us. Father, I pray that tonight as we look into the Word of God, may we be helped. Uh, May this uh, ground us a little bit deeper in the truth of your Word. Uh, But most of all, Father, may it help us in our dealing with these who have been deceived by this false teaching, this false doctrine. And may because of our study and because us being aware of the tools of Satan that we might be able to be a witness to someone else. Pray that you'll bless our remaining time. Thank you for the faithfulness of these people, this pastor. I continue to bless them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Look at verse number 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. There's several things in those two verses we're going to come back to, but I always, uh, when, when I'm, when I'm doing, teach, teaching this subject, I always like to point out when the Scripture tells us there's some that are going to depart from the faith, some that has erred from the faith, because it brings us back to what I've already said, there's one faith. And sometimes we look at somebody we know and we love. They might have even been a spiritual leader at some point in our life. It could have been our home church. It could have been a home pastor, somebody who sat on the church pews with us. And we assume they think like we think, and then they begin to go a different way and try and convince you that what they are doing is right. We have to be reminded it's a harsh reality that some depart from the faith. Some err concerning the faith. And Paul is warning Timothy here of some very specific things. First of all, to keep. And then he makes some warnings that we'll get back to. But look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And we'll look at verse number 14. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. The verse in this passage of Scripture that we usually pay a lot of attention to is verse number 15, and rightfully so. Study to show thyself approved unto God. But I find it very interesting that the verse before and the verse after, verse number 15, certainly gives context to study to show thyself approved. He is being warned of uh, not striving about words to no profit because it subverts the hearers. 
Uh, Verse 16, shun, profane, and vain babblings. In the context of all of those verses, he is not just instructing Timothy to study for the sake of studying, although please study your Bible just to know it more. Study your Bible to know God more. Study your Bible to know how to live in a greater way to honor our Savior. But there's some very specific reasons that Timothy is being instructed to study the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice, uh, by way of introduction, three, three phrases. In chapter number 6 of 1 Timothy, in verse number 20, I want you to notice the phrase... Uh, avoiding profane and vain babblings. In chapter number 2, verse 14, I want you to notice the the phrase, strive not about words. Talking about words to no profit. Verse 16, shun profane and vain babblings. Some very interesting warnings that Paul the Apostle makes to Timothy. I mentioned just a moment ago, I love the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. I've probably read through those books of the Bible more than any other books. I, I love to study these books. There are, so many, there are many admonitions in these two books that are very obvious. Uh, they would be at the top of the list of what you and I comes to mind when we think of, uh, uh, of passing the faith from a faithful man to faithful man. Now, what we've already mentioned tonight in preaching the Word in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we started with uh, Sunday night with, In the last days, perilous times shall come. And what an important chapter, chapter number 3, is in the book of 2 Timothy, all the way down to the Word of God, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. There is so much in these two books from the Apostle Paul teaching his son in the faith Things to be aware of. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's much that Timothy has to pay attention to to fight for the faith, to contend for the faith, to stand, and having done all, to stand. If we're careful, these admonitions will get lost, but I think they're very, very important. We hear today, and I've taught on some of it this week, a lot of phraseology and wordplay of the emerging even the contemporary movement. Words that we've never used before. You'll hear some of these, and certainly uh, this list is not exclusive, and some that I've already mentioned this week I won't mention again tonight. But you'll hear man worship. It's an accusation that this crowd will hurl at independent Baptist churches, Bible-believing churches, those that believe in the Word of God. You just believe in man worship. Or you hear talk of, we live in this postmodern world. You hear a lot about the millennial generation. Purpose-driven is a a term that's been around for a while. As I taught last night, you may hear, well, I love Jesus, uh, not the church, or I'm just a Christ follower, which sounds good on the surface. Then this is one that maybe you've heard, I hear all the time, well, I'm just looking for authentic worship. I just want authentic worship. It's amazing, when they say authentic worship, the only place they seem to be able to find it is in the cutting-edge party atmosphere. I don't know what's authentic about that, I'm just looking for authentic worship. 
Basically, what they're saying by that is you're all a bunch of hypocrites and you're a bunch of put-ons because you cleaned up a little bit to come to church and you do things in a certain way. You're just doing that to impress man. I'm looking for something authentic. I'm going to mention some of these and I'll get back to them because I'm I'm going to show you the explanation behind them. Well, we have a... Well, where do you go to church? You tell me to go to church. Well, we have a missional church. You mean like mission-minded, support? No, we have a missional. They define it basically the same way, but it's a new word. They'll say, I'm just concerned about my relationship with Christ. I taught you last night on what that is. In most cases, it is literally checking the box on a card. Oh, here's one. Well, hymns were contemporary when they were written. Well, they were, they were contemporary in the fact that they were new, but not in their style. Uh, that's something you'll hear. But look at verse 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What Paul is admonishing Timothy, you ought to circle that word keep in your Bible. He has told Timothy, you keep what's been committed. What had been committed? Paul had committed to Timothy truth. Paul had committed to Timothy doctrine. Paul had committed to Timothy the faith. I thank God that in my life there have been those that have come before me and have committed certain things to my trust. Uh, those that have uh, taught me in the faith, those that were my spiritual Apostle Pauls, if you will, they committed things to me, and I have this same admonition to keep those things which have been committed to me. As the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, I preach to our people, I preach to our young adults, I preach to our teenagers and our children. You have, you have parents who've committed certain things to you. You have a pastor who's committed certain things to you. You have a responsibility to keep them, to keep the doctrine, to keep the truth, to keep the faith. That is what Paul is admonishing Timothy. There are certain things that are committed to his trust. Why is that important? Because there is somebody that is counting on Timothy to give them the faith. And when we are unfaithful, which that which we have been given to keep, somebody doesn't get what God intends for them to get. You have a pastor that faithfully preaches the Word of God. You have a responsibility to keep that which has been committed to you. Every young person has a responsibility with Christian parents that have taught them right. They have a responsibility. That's what Paul is saying. Keep the truth. Keep the doctrine. Keep the faith. You have a responsibility to keep that. It's time we understand and we get re- we're reminded, and I have to remind myself, uh, that's what's important is that I keep the truth. I hold to it. I guard it. That is what is important for me. That's what's important for you. Remember, that word remember, keep that which is committed to thy trust. He is is being admonished in verse number 14 of chapter 2 of these things, put them in remembrance. There's things that we're supposed to remember. Uh, in, In... 1 Timothy 2, chapter number 2, it parallels, in my mind, chapter 6 and verse 20, commit faithful man to faithful man. 
I can say this, I know your pastor fairly well. He's a faithful man. He has faithfully kept that which has been passed to him. Now, he has kept up his end of the bargain. He is fulfilled in fulfilling his responsibility. He is fulfilling his part of that, that command. Faithful man committing to faithful man. So, so who's responsible? Who, who else needs to step into this? Those that he commits it to. That is who Timothy was to Paul. Paul, after his conversion, he had kept the faith, paid a great price. He had passed it on to others, but to Timothy, he's saying, keep that which has been committed. He is putting him in remembrance. He's reminding him every once in a while. I, 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 tell, I tell our people, I have a hard time. And, 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 and my people know that I love them, but they know that I grew up in the same church I now pastor. They know that I am thankful for the heritage that I have. They know that I have uh, I, I tried my best to be faithful to that which is committed to me. I, I, I have to be kept in remembrance of what the price has been paid for somebody to have the faith handed to them and put it down and go another way. You can't get more unfaithful than that. We have to be reminded, bring into remembrance. There's things we're supposed to keep. Paul writes to Timothy and warns him that there is a danger to what God has entrusted him with. Okay, I, I, I believe I've established the fact that Paul is again admonishing in verse number 20, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, keep that which has been committed. Hold on to it. It's the truth. It's the doctrine. He continues with his thoughts with a warning of what is a danger to that which he has been committed to keep. Do you see it there in verse number 20? That phrase I, I pointed out to you. Avoiding profane and vain babblings. Timothy, keep that which has been committed. Avoiding profane and vain babblings. Look at, the, look at verse 14. Strive not about words. Verse 16 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. But shun, profane, same words, and vain babblings. Paul is admonishing Timothy to keep that which has been committed. Keep the faith. But he also gives him a warning of a danger to him keeping the faith. I believe... There are a lot of churches just like this church, just like the church I pastor, who people, okay, I'll, they're receiving what the, what the, what the pastor has, has tried to pass to them. They have received what faithful parents have passed to them, but they don't pay attention to the danger that is a real danger coming out of the emerging church, and it's this terminology that on the surface looks harmless to us. Who cares if they use different words? Well, I'm going to show us very quickly with the time I have, with the three hours that I have remaining, that uh, some of you just got that, that, that uh, uh, there are some warnings here. Chapter 2, verse 14. Strive not about words to no profit. What are words that have no profit? They're words that have no benefit. 
What does it help to use the word authentic worship? It has no benefit. It has no building. It has no strengthening. It has no advancing the cause of Christ. I sometime with some of the brethren and some of my, even my friends, Neil, why are you making a big deal about that word? And I have to say to them, because I've been studying this for almost 10 years, and I know what's behind that word. Oh, it's just, it's just a word. There's certain ones that we're supposed to avoid. You know, in this paradigm, we have a missional church that is good at contextualizing the vintage faith so that we might be authentic. Now, didn't that help you? I would repeat that again, but I don't know that I can. Those are words that are, quote-unquote, harmless words, but I'm going to get to the purpose behind them in just a second. But does, do we not believe the Bible? Either we do or we don't. Either we're going to take the heeding, heed, heed the Word of God and the warnings, or we're going to ignore them. We'll say... I believe that this King James Bible is the inspired, preserved Word of God. It is without error, and I certainly believe that, and I know you do too. Well, then that means that when God says, it, it puts in the Bible, to avoid profane and vain babblings, to shun those, well, then we ought to pay attention to that. And in context of the words that we are now hearing that we've never heard before, you should just say, we're a New Testament church. Well, that was good enough. But now we have to be missional. Oh, we live in a day when, the, when people need the gospel. Well, in this paradigm, we need to contextualize the Scripture so that those that are on their journey searching might see that we have a vintage Jesus, and we have authentic worship. These are words that are used that have no profit. Words of no profit he is told to avoid. Let me get to the second point here. This is starting to this is going to start to open up some things for you, I believe. I look at verse 14 again. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. But what does that next phrase say? But to the subverting of the hearers. These are not harmless words. The words I have read to you from their doctrinal books this week, their definition of what they believe, they do not believe the Holy Spirit of God. They do not believe a, a truth of Scripture. It is all relative to their viewpoint. They do not believe in the Jesus of this Bible right here. They don't believe that. And we, we have been deceived into thinking that we can take their words built around their doctrine and it's okay to take it. But there's a purpose behind it, and many people, sincere people, even independent Baptist people, are being deceived 
and bringing the words even into their practice, but they have a purpose. It's right there in verse 14. But to the subverting of the hearers. And that is the second thing that I want to mention to you. We're not to strive about words and no profit, but there are, their purpose is to unsettle the hearer. The word subvert means to corrupt, to confound, to pervert the mind, and turn it from the truth. Isn't it amazing when you take what is happening in this day and you, and, and you put it through the filter of Scripture? When you start talking about these vain words... Some of them I mentioned tonight. Some of them I've defined throughout the week. You say, what, what is the big deal about that? Their purpose is to unsettle the hearer. Now, you say, well, these people aren't that smart. You're exactly right. They're not. But the author of their doctrine is Satan himself. It is a doctrine of devils. The purpose is to subvert, to corrupt, to confound, to confuse, to pervert the mind... And turn it from the truth. These phrases and words that the contemporary crowd uses, the emerging church crowd uses, have a distinct purpose. What you and I have have to come to agreement on, what you and I have come, got to come to the conclusion of, is that those that would have a false doctrine and propagate a false doctrine do not have the same sincerity of heart that we have. There is a method behind it. There is a purpose behind it. And it is to subvert the hearer, to confound the hearer, to confuse the hearer by a Bible, a definition of a Bible word, to pervert the mind and turn it from the truth. This forces these words in vain babblings. These Words, these phrases, takes the focus off of the truth and places it on personality and in the, pro in the process clouds the truth with human reasoning and passions. It takes it off of the truth. And it puts it on the personality. It puts it on this new phrase. I'll give you an illustration. I'll not call the name. But there is an independent Baptist. He claims to still be independent Baptist. I'm not sure about that. Who in one of his blogs admonishes all of us to stop using church words in church. So that the unchurched are not confused. So don't use church words in church. Or you'll confuse the unchurched. There's some real intelligence behind that. And we chuckle and we laugh, but I know enough about the man to know that he's not dumb. So there's a reason and there's a purpose behind it. Don't use that terminology. Use a terminology they'll understand. It is designed to subvert the hearer. Let's go back to that list. These vain words and babblings that have no profit, 
They are designed to place doubt in truth, doctrine, and faith. Remember verse number 20, what Timothy was admonished to do, keep that which has been committed. He's admonished to keep the faith, keep the truth, keep the doctrine. Then Paul warns him, avoid the profane and vain babblings. Why? Because it creates doubt in the truth. It creates doubt in the fact of the Word of God. It creates doubt in the faith. See, when they say man worship, hey, y'all come to church. Here's, I've met so many of y'all, got to know some of y'all a little bit better. I've been coming, you say, I've been coming here for this long and, and for 15 years and 30 years, and, and you must really love the Lord if, if it, well, anyway, uh, you, you've been coming here for, for that, that, that much time, and, 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 and you, you know you don't worship man. But when they say, oh, those independent Baptist churches where they, a man still gets up and behind the pulpit and lords over everybody, they worship the man there. They, they, they have man worship. You know what they're doing? They're using that terminology to attack pastoral authority, which is still in the Bible, by the way. They'll use the terminology, well, we just love Jesus and we don't, we don't follow man, we just follow Jesus. That terminology is designed to confound, to subvert, to get individuals to leave the church. You don't need the church, you just follow Jesus. Well, if you were really following Jesus, let me tell you where you'd follow Him on Sunday morning. You'd follow Him to a Bible-preaching church if you were really following Jesus. But this terminology in certain generations are always thrown, thrown, thrown at us. The, the, the most popular one is the millennial generation. And I taught it on Sunday night, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, on uh, th- this new generation, this postmodern world we live in. And in this generation, it's just the way they are. They grow up in technology. It's not their fault they were born at this time. And the world has changed so much. And it's just in their nature to question everything. It's, it's like this is new, like man has never questioned God before. It's just in their nature to, to, to question everything and rebel against everything. And so they look at grandma's church and they say, I don't know if that is authentic enough. I don't know if that's real enough. I'm going to rebel against it. And the emerging church, this new church has emerged where they decide what is truth and what is not. And it changes depending on what they are currently doing. But the fact that we're thrown this generation that we're supposed to center everything around is, is, is really in the mind of the lost person, the mind of the, the person who doesn't know the Lord. It is, it, is, it is teaching them that there is an exception to what the Bible says. Because the Bible does say, Jesus does say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But I'm postmodern. But I'm a millennial. I'm not really, I'm too old to be a millennial, but I'm using this as an illustration. I'm a millennial. There's an exception. Oh, you can't tell that to this generation today. And then what they do is they, then it come, they come right behind and say, because of that, you've got to change the way you reach them. You've got to change your music. You've got to change your program. You've got to change your standards. You've got to change all those man-made requirements. You've got to change them all. And now you're changing your church 
to try and keep rebels. Oh, when we hear these articles and hear these things, all that, let me tell you why, why this generation is leaving the Independent Baptist Church. I can help you. They're rebels. They're rebels. We've got to preach the truth. There, there, was a, there, was, there was a time in, in, in our history where, 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 where grandmothers would pray their prodigal grandson down the aisle again. I'm afraid if we got back to our prayer closet, we got back to our holiness, we, we stuck with what the Bible says is true, I, I think we might would see a difference. We don't keep all of ours, but we keep the most of ours. And it hasn't got any uh, less scriptural through the years. But the purpose is to unsettle the one I've already used. Oh, I'm just searching for authentic worship. Don't be intimidated by these terms. But you know what, you know what that is saying when they say they're looking for authentic worship? They're first of all saying, you don't have it. That's the first thing they're saying. You don't have authentic worship. And what they are doing is they are subverting the hearer. It is an attack on the standards. It is an attack on the purpose of the church. And it puts a, well, that's just man's standards. I don't live in Ocala. You're aware of that. But I know enough about this that I, that I, and enough about your pastor that I guarantee you. There are people who are tied up in these churches that when your pastor's name comes up, this church's name comes up, they're invited to this church perhaps by one of you. It is, well, well that church, they, they, we, we, don't do have, we don't have man standards like that church does. We're authentic in our worship. You know what that does right there? It's got a purpose to subvert the hearer, to cloud their mind, and keep them from coming where they'll hear the truth. Uh, and we don't know our Bibles enough sometimes and we're deceived by it to understand that in order for me to keep that which has been committed to my trust, there's just some things I have to avoid. I'm not going to change my terminology in the pulpit because there's a bunch of other people using it. Didn't we, can, we, can we use some logic? Let me look around the crowd tonight. Okay, I think we can use some logic, at least a little bit of it. If you can think back to when you were a kid... Or what we tell our kids. Don't give in to peer pressure. Just because everybody else is saying it. Don't you say it. And now we have Baptist preachers. i got to change the way I talk. Because everybody else is talking this way. There might be one safe person here. i got to change the way I talk so he understands. If the Holy Spirit of God is in the preaching. The Holy Spirit of God is in the service. The Holy Spirit will communicate to that person who's never been in church before, their need of salvation. He will convict the heart no matter what your terminology is. This is why the terminology has to come where a lost man will understand it or a lost man will be intrigued by what he's using, those spiritual sounding words. It's because there is no Spirit of God in the service. There is no Spirit of God in what they're doing. They're not preaching the truth of Scripture. That's why you cannot take their methods without getting their doctrine. We have the truth. We must stick with the truth. 
But they use these terminology to subvert the hearer. Number three, I've got to hasten. Profane and vain babblings lead to doctrinal error and ungodliness. We see in verse 21 of 1 Timothy 6, what which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Look at chapter number 2, verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Sometimes when I hear even independent Baptists, some of the words they use and the things they say, I know who they've been reading. I know what books they've been reading. This happened not too long ago. Some buzzwords I heard, I said, I know what they've been reading. And it came up in a discussion with that individual, but also with others. And it's like, I just, I just can't believe that, brother. I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you start using, according to my Bible, profane and vain babblings lead away from the faith. Profane and vain babblings will increase unto more ungodliness. I had one individual say, explain that to me. And this is my response. Maybe, maybe it was not the right response, but it was simply, I don't have to. The Bible says it's going to happen. So I'm going to stay away from it because I don't want to err concerning the faith. I don't want to lead unto more ungodliness. That's why you watch the terms changing on the church literature. You watch the terms changing in the pulpit. You watch all that. I can tell you it's just going to be a matter of time before they leave the faith, before they leave doctrine. It's just the reality. Profane and vain babblings lead to... Doctrinal error and ungodliness. See, the crowd that uses terms and words designed to subvert and not strengthen are those leaving truth and embracing carnality. It's just a fact. See, these relationship with Christ, quote-unquote, Baptist churches, they are leading people to hell because they check a box saying they chose Christ. That, that, that is the opposite way that the church is supposed to be taking people. Because if there's no conviction, there's no confession, there's no conversion. I conclude with this. I'm doing good on time, aren't I? I just got 26 more lessons to go tonight. How do we keep that which is committed to us? I am 45 years old. I'm old enough that, I'm, well, let me say this way, I'm young enough that I have what I'll call some spiritual mentors. Some are in heaven, some are still here, who have committed to me what has been committed to them. I have a responsibility to keep that. But at 45 years of age, I'm old enough that there are some men in the ministry. There are, of course, the membership of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. There are missionaries on the mission field. There, there's there's college-age young people training for the ministry. That, that I have a responsibility to hold to the faith and continue to pass it to them. I want to keep what's been committed to me. 
how do we keep in remembrance? I, I want to be very aware, very, very aware of a great price has been paid for me to have the Word of God. A great price has been paid for me as a Baptist. I don't want to err concerning the faith. So how do we do that? I know the heart of your pastor. That's why he's having this meeting. You that have been here these nights, and so many of you said, this has been so helpful to me. This has been, you're either good liars or the Word of God is actually helping you this week. And I believe you have a heart. We want to hold to the things that we know to be true. So how do we do it? Not only in this passage of Scripture do we see that Paul admonishes Timothy to keep that which has been committed. He warns him of what will take him away from the faith. The vain babblings. These words. And friend, that's why this terminology, it's important for us to just stick with Bible words. Just stick with the terminology we've always had. It's a big deal. And I'm just naturally suspicious, and I'm going to be, because my Bible tells me that there are words, they have a purpose to subvert the faith of the hearer, to confuse them. To confound them. So how do we keep that which is committed to us? Very quickly, and I'll be done. First of all, it's found in verse number 14 of chapter number 2. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit. First, The first way we keep what's been committed to us is to remember our audience. It's there in verse number 14. Charging them before the Lord. We must remember our audience. As a preacher, I have an audience that I'm to be pay very close attention to. And it's the person whose word I'm preaching. Who is our audience? Our audience is the Lord. Our audience is before the Lord. It is His faith. It is His Word. It is His truth. I have a responsibility to hold to His faith. Uh, well, we want to use well, these words. Are no, no, it's, it's remember our audience. Uh, when you get in the Word of God, remember your audience. Remember that which has been committed to you. One faith, the true, the true champion of truth must be willing to remove himself and remember the cause is not his but God's. When your pastor gets up here and preaches, it's not his cause. When you try and, as you have, be a lighthouse in this community, it's not the cause of the Central Baptist Church, it's God's cause that he's commissioned us to carry out. We must remember our audience if we're going to keep that. It's found in verse number 15. The second thing, study to show thyself approved. I've lost a lot of Christians with that first word, study. Study to show thyself approved. Study the Word of God. Be suspicious of things that come that from, 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 from groups and from teachings and from places that don't have the Word of God. Well, it makes you more acceptable in the day we live in. Remember our audience. 
I don't ever want to have a service at the Emmanuel Baptist Church where God is displeased with what's going on. Logic through this with me just for a moment. It's not that hard. It's His church. Why do we want to design a service around a certain group of people? We ought to be designing it to please our God. Designing it to make Him happy. Well, we have to have a certain music to attract. No, we sing unto Him not to make anybody else, not even to make me comfortable. It's what is going to please my God. What do we do at the center of the service around? Well, we want to make it digestible for the people. And, and, and let's take our lessons from Hollywood movies, so they'll relate to that. Friend, I can tell you this, there's a holy God in heaven that is not pleased uh, with that kind of a theatric on, on, on His day. I am supposed to preach the Word of God as a preacher of the Gospel to make Him happy, to please Him. Remember our audience, study. And here's the last one. And this is the one that a lot of people don't like, but it's there in the Bible. Chapter 2, verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. Chapter 6 and verse 20, avoiding profane and vain babblings. The word shun means to avoid, not to mix or associate with. I am not going to answer for any other church but the church I pastor. But I have a responsibility to shun vain babblings. You know, if I'm shunning them, I'm not mixing with them. If I'm shunning them, I'm not using them. It all comes down, are we going to be focused on believing every part of this book or not? We have to understand, and I think we've painted a picture the best that I possibly could this week with what they believe, what they believe about the Word of God, what they believe about the Spirit of God, what they believe about the Son of God. And they use terminology for a reason, to cast doubt on that which we have been admonish to keep. Uh, be very careful. Be very guarded. It's, when, we, when we work with our, 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 our co-workers, our neighbors, our family members, in these words, and these things, I, I, tell our, I tell our young preachers, don't pick up these books. But they, they use these, well, I'm not interested in those words. Let's study to show thyself approved.